Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We're wrapping up our series of interviews with Connecticut gubernatorial candidates. Today, Mark Stewart is in studio with us. His name will join four others on the November 6th ballot in the race for governor. Now, why did Mark Stewart petition his way onto the ballot, and why is he running? You can ask him a question, too. Join the conversation, 860-275-7266. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. And I should mention we're on Facebook Live today, so if you have a question for Mark Stewart, you can add that question below the live video stream. Just search for Where We Live on Facebook. So, Mark Stewart, welcome to our show. Thanks for having me, Lucy. I should mention you're on the ballot as Mark Stewart Greenstein. Line 1G with the Amigo Party. And Lucy, it stands for Americans for Minimal Government. It's a party I formed. So tell us more about why you're running. I understand that you also uh, ran uh, for president a couple times. For the same message, that the government is not representing us very well. And it's a message especially to Democrats. I am one still. I call myself an IED an increasingly embarrassed Democrat, embarrassed by the leadership that's primarily in Washington. In Connecticut, I don't have as big of a beef, but statewide and nationwide, we, the people, expect certain things of government. Democrats especially expect responsiveness. And then our reps get elected and they don't follow through. This is a campaign that is very much for people. I wish I had more prominence, but It goes beyond this November 6th. I said I started a party. The Amigo Party is open to candidates of any stripe. You can remain a Democrat. But if the hierarchy has stopped you up, because Democrats are very seniority-oriented, you could remain a Republican. They're sort of stopped up, too, usually by orthodoxy. If you're not like us, you can't run. So here's a third way. The candidates, maybe some of you listening now, could be running for state house seats in two years. In one year, run for school board, run for your mayorship or selectman. And Lucy, what this does is you don't have to run for the other side. I get it. You're a Democrat. You would never run with the enemy. But here's a third party that has a better way of doing things, open-minded, and it makes the two big parties better. So you had to petition your way onto the (laughs) Connecticut ballot. So describe for our listeners, obviously you have a passion to run and you feel like you would have something to contribute uh, to uh, the the participation uh, of citizens uh, to be involved in government. But uh, let's back up a little and talk about the process. You had to gather how many signatures to get on this ballot? You had to submit 7,500. Now, that has to be registered voters, and that means you're turning in, in my case, over 11,000. You had Rod and Oz on, too. They each got over 11,000. Lucy combined, we were almost 35,000 petitioners. That's pretty significant when it's strangers signing your ballot saying, I either like you or I like the idea of your party showing up. So, yes, I was in parking lots. I was at DMVs. I collected 7,700 of those names myself. And when you were collecting signatures, what did you tell this random stranger uh, about your campaign and why you're running? Not only tell, though, but you listen, too. That's why this campaign never needed any handlers, no focus groups. I will never need a political consultant. 
because I have lots of Connecticut residents who converse with me. I have conferences two days a week if they want to call in. But what you learn in the process of petitioning is what Connecticut voters want. Now, I suspect I knew. It's overwhelming. Socially liberal, fiscally conservative. It is what at least 60% of voters want. It's at least 80% among millennials. And this year, Connecticut for the first time has not one, but two candidates for governor in that mode. Rod Hanscom and I are very close, socially permissive, I say because government screws up almost everything, and fiscally conservative because it's your wallet, and I respect your money first. Uh, this is where we live. You're hearing Mark Stewart. He is running for governor uh, in the state of Connecticut. He is one among five candidates. He's the Amigo Constitution Party candidate. And you heard him mention that Amigo Constitution Party stands for Min- Americans for Minimal Government. You can ask a question of Mark, the number 860-275-7266. Find us also on Facebook Live. Search for where we live and add your question below the live video stream. You mentioned uh, Rod Hanscom, who's running on Liber- as a libertarian, uh, some people would see you as fringe. Well, fringe in traditional politics. But look what traditional politics has gotten us. Lucy, it's gotten us government budgets that they can't stick to. It's gotten us people in the legislature who don't even read bills. It's got you an approval, that North Haven train station. They're paying 11 times market value for a station that might not ever be built. It's gotten us bureaucracy that Families would never do. You would not be larding on an extra pension for somebody based on the travel time that they spent. Pay for what you work. Pay them well. A family does this. Our legislature doesn't. Traditional politics, most millennials know, need to be at an end. And those who have yet to profile Rod or me, they don't get it. All right, And that includes the paper down the road. They don't get it. Traditional politics, meaning the duopoly, the fact that you have two major parties in this country. Uh, People listening now may think that voting for you would be a wasted vote. It's not a wasted vote unless you were voting against true evil. Okay, if you had Hitler on the ballot, yes, you vote against that maniacal possible leader. Bob is not going to ruin the state. I don't think he's good, but if elected, he's not going to ruin the state. Yes. Ned, he and I are differ on so many positional issues, but he's a good guy. And actually, he's more of a listener than Bob. If he's elected, he actually is malleable. Now, when you're a progressive, I don't like your positions. But if you're a listening progressive, and Ned is, and he's been very energetic about hearing, and he's changed some positions for the better. Here's why it's for the better. Because the general public is grounded. They're sensible. I listened to that from the get-go. And if you look at StuartForLiberty.com, Lucy, I've got 300 videos. Most people who look at even three of them say, why isn't this guy, Mark Greenstein, more prominent? You said that um, if you're progressive, you don't like the ideas. So tell me uh, what are some, uh, because some of the listeners actually would lean towards a progressive agenda from a, a candidate. All right. I am progressive in this way. I believe in every value that the liberal progressive wants. I just ask you not to turn to government first. Do it as a deep backup. Do welfare the better way, which is you and I and certain organizations that can fund homeless shelters, that can clean up the sound, that can do transportation better than the government can. Let us spend our money directly on charities. There will be more money to spend as well. 
and we have control, not a General Assembly that is politically grounded, that is often obtuse to what individuals want. When you have control, and that's the way we did it, yes, 90 years ago, but Lucy, nobody starved. When somebody's house got destroyed in a hurricane or tornado, it got rebuilt by the community. Government has taken away the community. I say they've usurped it. We can get it back. By the way, that's why I can explain a tax cut when Bob can't. Stefanowski, eight years and out, he can't explain why. So explain, okay, you mentioned your tax cut. And again, this is Mark Stewart here on Where We Live. Uh, He's running as a a third-party candidate in Connecticut's governor's race. He petitioned on. He got registered voters to to sign a petition to allow him to be on the Connecticut ballot. So if you have a question for him, one of five candidates running, the number 860-275-7266. You mentioned uh, taxes. Uh, The the GOP candidate has uh, this uh, proposal to eliminate the income tax within Uh, eight years, but you say you can do it in three? Absolutely. A tax cut is progressive in this way. It progresses money to your pocketbook. You decide, not a government bureaucracy. How can you do this in three years? Ready? Bob, you can listen. Take a cue from me. Use it in the debate tonight. I would cut 30% from the government projects that are the least necessary. The nice ones, but not the necessary ones. Lucy, if we bring government back to the needed things, we have to do criminal. We have to do mental health. I think we should do environmental protection. We have to do education under the Constitution. Those are necessary. Nice things that the government has taken over are better funded ourselves. Like what? Like you could be giving aid to homeless shelters. There are some very good ones. There are some not so good ones. There are some that could be good, but right now they're run by the state. Example, there's one I visited in Bristol. They have a clientele of primarily alcoholic men. They can't keep them overnight. That's the state guideline. If they could, it would be much better to treat these people purely. These men have to be turned out at 8 p.m. because the state says you got to close. What do they do? By 9 p.m., they found an enabler to put them on the bottle. Better charity happens when individuals and smaller non-government organizations and municipalities, I'm not for anti-government, I'm for minimal government, and municipalities tend to do government a lot better. You mentioned homelessness uh, under the Malloy administration, uh, what the administration has done with the collaboration between partnerships with nonprofits, uh, with shelters in the community. Uh, they've been able to really drastically cut uh, the homelessness rate in Connecticut. Is that a good example of, of It probably that? is. I'm not sure if it's all government or a generally good economy, a more devoted um, individual set that says, we don't want homelessness in our midst, especially when they could be employed and be better people. That's the conservative mentality. Dan Malloy's administration has helped. By the way, I don't criticize Dan on finances. I'm the only candidate who says he has done an excellent job at right-sizing a terrible situation that three prior governors, Rel, Roland, Weicker, went way out of whack on. Uh, we got a uh, tweet from a listener, David, who writes, Stewart, Mark Stewart, opposes a minimum wage, a living wage, and claims the CBAC deal helps state employ- employees. Why should workers support you? I'm the only candidate that would keep the CBAC deal. I keep it totally intact. Now, for two reasons. The conservative one is we keep promises. 
even if you don't think it was such a good deal. You promised employees. They made arrangements because of it. Some of them could have taken jobs elsewhere. They've stayed on. You honor promises. At a macro level, a state that doesn't honor promises, so much for their bond rating, so much for doing everything down the road. A government has to back up its promises. Now, why can workers feel actually very good if I were elected governor or if I had influence? That would be because I want to help you privatize if you want to. You who actually do DOT work now could almost certainly do it better. You're a state employee. I'm going to privatize if you want it. You'll be able to, if you're entrepreneurial, pick the staff that are good around you. Jettison the staff that are not so good. They're the laggards. You know them. Pick the technology that's good. Not be constrained by government that says we can't buy this technology yet. You can not only help repair our roads better, you might help Massachusetts and New York because their governments are even more screwed up than Connecticut's. You're listening to Mark Stewart, also Mark Stewart Greenstein on the Connecticut ballot November 6th. If you have a question, 860-275-7266. Why the change in the name? So you like people calling you Mark Stewart, but on the ballot, you're Mark Stewart Greenstein. I've always liked Stewart, and it goes back to my old friend's longstanding June who had a son named Mark Joseph. And at, at Seder's and Thanksgiving's, how does she distinguish her son's Mark Joseph? I'm Mark Stewart. I always took to that. But there's a, there's a private versus political aspect. I run an education test prep company in this state. I, everyone knows me there as Mark Greenstein. I'm the one who's helped take care of a lot of their kids, helped send them on to college from my company, Ivy Bound. I'm still there. I'm still the Mark Greenstein who cares about your kid's success. But if I say something stupid on the campaign trail, maybe even today, and it's something that agitates you, you can take a little comfort and say, ah, that's the political mark. I happen to also have done some research. There are many Mark Greensteins on the web. There's a lawyer, there's a venture capitalist, there's a dentist, there's two doctors. There's one very prolific Mark Stewart on the web. He's a black rapper. He's really good. There's no Mark Stewart Greenstein, so I'm a lot more findable that way. But you're a third-party candidate. Uh, don't have a lot of campaign cash on hand. Haven't you don't asked have, for any. You don't have ads uh, to let people know about you. Uh, name recognition probably uh, very low, uh, considering uh, that the phone lines aren't really lighting up with this show, even though we give uh, people the opportunity to ask candidates running for office uh, their questions. Well, you've given great opportunity, and Colin just across the way has been very good in behalf of independence. You get it. You're making me more of a progressive. Why major media doesn't, that they have yet to profile Rod and me in the way that the other candidates have, I don't understand it. But there's a coming wave. I call it not a blue wave, not a red tide, a purple rain, <laughs> R-E-I-G-N, for that combination of we're all ourselves. We don't have to be allied with one or the other. I actually think Rod and I may be in advance of, as politicians, what politicians expect. But we're in sync with people now, especially millennials now. They get it. So you keep mentioning millennials. Are you hoping that the young vote, the 18 to 29-year-olds, are going to vote for you, Mark Stewart? They should. But just in case, come November 6th, I don't register very high. I will still be helping candidates for state offices in two years. 
this party is going to go onward, and it does give millennials a better say than what they have right now. You're listening to Where We Live. Uh, Mark Stewart is going to be Mark Stewart Greenstein on the Connecticut ballot. You just heard him explain uh, why uh, the difference in name. Uh, But he's running on the Amigo Constitution Party. And if you have a question for him, one of five running for uh, Connecticut governor, the number 860-275-7266. James is calling from Hartford. James, what's your question? Hi, good morning, Mark. Uh, my name is James. I'm actually a selectman in the town of Wales, Massachusetts. Uh, we're right over the Stafford uh, Springs uh, state line. My question for you is I, I'm, I'm 35 years old. Um, I heard you talk a little bit about the public bureaucracy in Connecticut being ineffective, and you also talked talk a little bit just now about how you feel your ideas would help Connecticut, I mean, uh, New York and Massachusetts. Um, I'm just trying to get an idea of, for my friends who live in Connecticut still, where your ideas about the public bureaucracy being ineffective are and make, and how you think directly or indirectly you really would help impact uh, neighboring states. Thank you. James, thank you. Well, for example, the public bureaucracy, uh, this is uh, within the Malloy, Malloy administration, there's a bond commission. Recently, you probably read this, they approved $10 million dollars to do a survey of what might happen if we implemented tolls, which have almost no chance of getting implemented in the first place. But even if they did, it's premature. Nobody should be spending your kids' money. By the way, that's what a bond commission does. They don't have the guts to spend money that we should be using now. They put it off for a kid's generation. A family doesn't do that. Here's also where it's absolutely dysfunctional. Why is the pension obligation so out of whack? James, you probably know. Most listeners do. Because for almost 70 years, they have been misappropriating funds. Pensions should be chock full, and only government would do this. This does not happen in small business to the extent that it has They haven't been paying into the pension fund for for many years. Uh, You mentioned tolls. You're, You're against tolls. I'm against the traditional way. Now, here comes the third way. You'll hear third way a lot. Stuart for Liberty is chock full of third ways. Lucy, if you have to need revenue, if we must get revenue, there's a much better way. Ready? Why do you keep whispering? (laughs) Mileage-based use fees means wherever you are, wherever you are commuting at a fraction of the cost of putting tolls on a four-lane highway, we can monitor by cell towers, by satellites, maybe two cents a mile, maybe three cents a mile. It's fairer because instantly, if you put tolls in on four-lane highways only, it puts commuters at war with non-commuters. They're the only ones who'd be paying. Make it fair now. Some people think it's more fair to uh, toll trucks more. And I I realize that because they put more weight on the highways. You can do that with a mileage-based use fee as well. Here's once again why the legislature has blown it. I've presented this to three different legislators, one on the Transportation Committee, one leading Republican, one Democrat. Oh, we can't do it. Has any state looked into that? Oregon's doing it now. And Delaware might. Mark Stewart's running uh, in the Connecticut governor's race on the uh, for the Amigo Party, Amer- Americans for Minimal Government, the Constitution Party, to be exact. You can join our conversation. Ask a question uh, for Mark, 860-275-7266. We're going to take a quick break, and we're also on Facebook Live today. Just search for where we live and add your question or comment below the live video stream.
This is where we live. On Connecticut Public Radio, I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Is your mind made up about who you're voting for in Connecticut's governor's race? One candidate you may not be familiar with is Mark Stewart. Uh, listed Mark Stewart Greenstein on the Connecticut ballot. He's one of five names you're going to see uh, when you head to the polls November 6th. And if you have a question for him, the number 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook Live at your question below the live video stream. Just search for where we live. Now, uh, one of the biggest uh, campaign uh, points that you've been making along the way is that you want to bring back the whalers <laughs> very clever it's doable lucid i love that song we can't we can't we have to play it more often <laughs> i hope to be playing it 80 games a year you say it's doable so i i moved to connecticut uh end of uh, 2006 and there were no whalers and there was i remember one of my first stories was talking to this group of connecticut residents who want to bring back the whalers but why the why focus on the whalers is that a lost cause it's a micro focus of bringing more business back period okay it happens to be very popular here ask Hours anyone up. who was here oh 25 years ago when whalers were playing in hartford the outside streets were almost as lively as Manhattan. I know you have a hard time believing that, but that really was what it was like. Really? Absolutely. Restaurants I'm from Pittsburgh, were filled. So I'm used to the people turning out for the pens. <laughs> Restaurants were filled. Um, retail shops were burgeoning. Players back in the day would actually convene in pubs afterwards with, with just ordinary fans afterwards. Very cool thing. Could you have that back today? Yeah. It takes a billionaire. There are some vain billionaires who might want to be part of a 32-person club, and there are many individuals, and these are the people that I do talk with, who for 300 400 bucks would like to take part in an offering. They become a shareholder. The Green Bay Packers, Green Bay is no bigger than West Hartford population-wise. They support an NFL team in part because of that widespread ownership. We could get a team back. It's uh, a microcosm, though. I am trying to get divisions of other companies from well, you, Europe and Latin yeah. America. Up here. I mean, we have the yard goats now. Isn't that enough? It's not NHL. It's great, <laughs> and, and it's a great time if you haven't been to a yard goats game. But what a cool thing to go to a yard goats afternoon game, have a dinner, and then walk across the street to a hockey game that night. So we're getting a tweet. Uh, I think it's Patty wants to know, what other offices have you held or community service have you done to prepare for working in government? Offices, none, and that may be a good thing. You might have noticed that none of the five candidates for governor are office holders now. And the most you have for background, Ned was a selectman for all of two years. Why is that a good thing? Ladies and gentlemen, it's because office holders have not done their job especially well. There were 32 candidates that were either exploring or put their names in for governor. How many of them were actually sitting legislators? Two. Because they knew that they had almost no political shot in these times where office holding is a sign of compromise, it's a, kind, it's a sign of you're good at spin, you may be good at selling out. How about outsiders? I'm a small businessman. That gives me more experience than almost any long-standing office holder. I have to deal with clients. I have to deal with employees. I have to deal with regulations up and down. And I have to deal with customer service in ways that government office holders don't. The unaffiliated candidate running, Oz Griebel, uh, had the line at the latest, uh, the last debate, that you can't run government like a business. In some ways, you should. In some ways, you're right, because there's some things like crime, okay? 
if if a convict escapes from Enfield's prison, the consequences are tremendous and no business can be entrusted. I don't trust business. I trust the free market that reigns business in. So when you see things like, and now I know they sound a little bit radical, I'm not a big fan of the FDA being the sole regulator of what drugs come in and, and get disapproved. They disapprove very good um, wholesome remedies because they are blindsided. They, they have blinders on. What gets those wholesome remedies to be safe? Community and other private rating agencies. At this point, it's Google and Facebook and everybody else who uses a drug effectively or not effectively. So there are so many things that government has taken over that we don't need to entrust to. I want to uh, take some calls now from listeners. Again, the number 860-275-7266. You can ask the question of Mark Stewart, who is running uh, in the Connecticut governor's race. Uh, there's five candidates in total when you go to the polls on November 6th. Let's take Eric from Norwich. Eric, what's your question? Hi, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I moved out to southeastern Connecticut from New York. I love this area. Uh, want to open a business here. Uh, when I have my friends come out from New York City, it's about 90 to 100 miles. Uh, they can't get a train or a bus to save their life. But when they want to go from Manhattan to the Catskills or out to the Hamptons, there's all kinds of buses and all kinds of trains at different times uh, to come out here. Uh, with people being able to work remotely now uh, with technology, uh, but they still need to get into these big cities like Boston and New York, uh, is there any anything on the horizon that you see to kind of solve this problem of, of transportation with trains and buses coming out to southeastern Connecticut? Thank you, Eric. Yes. And it is, first off, I'm a big fan of public transportation and for the government, once again, being a backstop, but not the real generator of public transit. It finally took, after nearly four years, Waterbury to get I-84 go through smoothly. Yay. Privately done, it would take less than half the time. We built bridges when we had to in World War II because there were armies coming up our... Mm. We ended up having the pressure that I would like to put on crews to get more transportation done. And here's how you do it without a lot of state funding. Investors. I'm not asking the feds. I'm not asking the state. I'm only asking the state to be a backer of last resort. I can build a Merritt Parkway from New York line to New Haven without a single dime of state money because I can save those commuters who right now say they go from Bridgeport into New York. They make $150,000 a year. That's relatively low for a New Yorker salary. They are therefore earning $75 an hour and they're losing $75 an hour every hour that they spend in traffic. Connecticut had the vision to put a right-of-way right below the merit for 50 straight miles. You can see there's no houses in the way. Investors can build and make money from and save us time a new merit parkway. Ernest is calling. Uh, he's on the road. Ernest, what's your question for Mark Stewart? Well, I, I, it was different, but now I've got to change. Uh, I want to address his last statement about uh, taking in private investors uh, for uh, public transportation. This is the problem. I, I'm a long-haul truck driver. A lot of people are not aware. It costs uh, $115 for a semi-truck to cross the George Washington Bridge. Now, multiply that by 
thousands by the thousands of trucks that go across that bridge on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, you wonder, where's all this money going? And the, and the same thing goes for uh, building a, a private rail line, uh, having private investors, I should say. Uh, it, it, it's going to be great in the beginning. But then what's to stop these fees and, uh, and, the, and the cost of tickets from going skyrocketing? I mean, it's Ernest, just, it's yeah. choice. Because where I propose a fee-based uh, place, notice Fairfield County up to New Haven, there's still two other roads that remain free. 95 and the merit itself. So if one investor group gets way out of line charging $100 for round-trip travel, you don't have to take it. And notice why you're stuck in New York, because government is controlling that bridge. The George Washington Bridge is not in the hands of people. It's in the hands of government. Uh, Tara uh, has a Facebook comment. Uh, she writes, how is it minimal government if the government's going to monitor where and how far she drives in order to collect the fees? Well, look, this is only if we desperately need revenue in the first place. Let's go back to why I don't think Connecticut needs any sort of extra revenue. What about the unfunded liabilities? You can do this on a $12 billion, not a $21 billion package. You do not need to be spending more money. If you are, let's spend it smartly. But I do believe that these extra toll proposals shouldn't have to see the light of day for the next five years if we spend the way I ask, which is spend on necessary things, not just nice things. Uh, this is Mark Stewart on Where We Live. He's running on the Amigo Constitution Party line uh, in the Connecticut governor's race. The number 860-275-7266. John is calling from Simsbury. John, go ahead. Hi. Uh, thanks, Mark. It's a breath of fresh air to hear something other than pat answers about all of these uh, issues we're facing. You're welcome. I uh, appreciate your comments about how uh, things could be done better and probably more efficiently at the local level. Do you see any expanded role or a return to role of the uh, uh, county governments in Connecticut to sort of be a middle ground and possibly get some scale from regionalizing things? I, I like municipal better than county, and it's because, notice, I say minimal government, not no government. Municipalities have the advantage that you, the popular citizen, know the people that you elect. You're going to see some of them, selectmen, in the store or at your kid's soccer game. That's good for democracy. That means they can't get all that wayward. County makes it, A, an extra layer, and it's more remote than municipal governments. I'd like to see municipalities empowered. Tonight's debate is actually sponsored down in Foxwoods by the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities. I'd like to see them have more power, but the state have less, and I just don't think there's a big need for county. Voluntary county things. I was at a debate in the um, uh, Naugatuck Corridor. Okay, so that valley has gathered schools to do communal things on a big basis. They can fund things as a six-town consortium. Middletown has another education consortium. When they come together voluntarily, I think it works great. I just don't think you need it as a forced thing, which is what county government would be. Sam's calling from Mystic. We haven't heard anything about education. So, Sam, go ahead with your question. Hi, I'm an unemployed teacher in the state of Connecticut with 10 years experience, and I have a pension with the state. I've gone back to get my master's degree at considerable 
a considerable expense, which is required by the state. And now I find communities and districts closing schools because families are not moving to the state because of taxes and the cost of housing. How can I, as a teacher, support my family in a state that doesn't seem to need me? Well, you might be able to work for my campaign, and this campaign continues beyond November 6th. Sir, I am an educator, and I'm an educator who would absolutely help people like you because Connecticut does have a relative strength in education. It's perceived that way. I want to press that. Here's how we build more schools. Jan Malloy had first five for some big corporations to come in. I have first 500, meaning communities that want to splinter off It might be a group of moms who say, we want a curriculum that's different. We can administer things well. We should have that. That also allows teachers to be able to move laddering much more easily. Your skills will find some home nearby. You won't have to go across the state to be able to teach well. But how do you build more schools when one of your proposals is to eliminate the income tax in three years? Because it's privately funded and It takes the same money on the public side. The public side doesn't get cut a dime. We spend about $6 billion on education. Lucy, that's still there. But now it's in the hands of families. A family can take their children to the school they want. I think we have time for one more question. Allie's calling from Norwich. Allie, go ahead. Hello? Yes, go ahead. Yes, I was wondering uh, what was his stance on legal marijuana and uh, game against Connecticut. It's a no-brainer. We should have legalized a long time ago. Canada just did. The sky is not falling. Colorado's had it legal recreationally for five years. Fight real crime. No marijuana toker is harming anybody else. I would restrict it from sales to kids. Otherwise, if you're not harming anybody in your home, Go ahead. It's not our business to be in the personal lives of people who are not harming others. I think we do have time for one more call. Larry's been holding from Meriden. Larry, go ahead. Hi. Um, um, thank you, Mark, for, for taking this show. I appreciate it. Um, my concerns are with uh, what your position will be in terms of dealing with uh, things going on in the White House, Congress, and the Senate. As far as a position uh, that's inclusive to all people. I want to work with whoever is in the White House. As odious as Donald Trump is, he could help Connecticut. As revolting as some people feel that Betsy DeVos is. I know they feel that way in East Hartford, but guess what? If woken up the right way... Her education department could help Connecticut. I would be a very good liaison for Connecticut to D.C. I'm curious. Uh, one of the, the the news coming out of the administration today is uh, President Trump wants to uh, put out an executive order that would uh, prevent people born uh, to non-citizens from becoming citizens of this country, which is almost in effect repealing the 14th Amendment. Where do you stand on that? I am pro-good immigration. Let me define good. I want people to stay, and let me define forceful. If the Connecticut military, it's not a big one, it's quite small, but if the military will protect against deportations by the feds, I would stand for that. I think it's a good thing. You don't deport good people. Now, let me define good. You got one minute. You want to be here. 
you're not just here in America as a place. You want to be part of the American community. You've learned English. You haven't taken welfare, or if you have, you're paying it back. And you yourself exude the kind of thing that makes us American. This is the only country when, when you come here, you're an American. If you go to Bulgaria, you're never going to be a Bulgarian. But anyone who comes here instantly is an American. I want to uphold that, and I will do that for immigrants who are not harming us. Mark Stewart's running again uh, in Connecticut's governor's race on the Amigo Constitution Party line. Uh, how many votes do you think you'll get, Mark? I do not know. Um, here's the threshold, though. This party exists after even 1% of the vote. Now, I haven't gotten much coverage. Maybe you can all tweet and buzz for this last week. There's a candidate who is far better than Bob. There's a candidate who would do more more quickly than Ned. And in the process, you uplift yourself because he uplifts We're individuals. We're out of time. Mark Stewart again. Uh, thank you for coming in today. It's Mark Stewart Greenstein on the Connecticut ballot. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for having me. Thanks for playing the brass bonanza. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Okay, up next we're going to talk about all five candidates running for Connecticut governor. John Dankosky, host of The Wheelhouse, and Ty Seymour, chairman of the Connecticut Federation of College Republicans, will join us. And you can keep calling 860-275-7266. Is your mind made up? you got a week to go. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. A new Quinnipiac University poll shows Democratic frontrunner Ned Lamont's lead may be slipping away, which is good news for GOP challenger Bob Stefanowski. Will this be another nail-biter of an election for Connecticut governor? That's how Quinnipiac poll director Doug Schwartz described the race to the Connecticut mirror. Joining us now for more is John Dankosky, host of Connecticut Public Radio's The Wheelhouse, also executive editor of the New England News Collaborative. Welcome back, John. Thanks so much, Lucy. Also uh, joining us uh, for the first time today is Ty Seymour, a senior at Southern Connecticut State University and chairman of the Connecticut Federation of College Republicans. Ty, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. So before we talk about the poll, we just had Mark Stewart or Mark Stewart Greenstein uh, in the studio. Again, he's one of five running. Uh, John, uh, he's got a, a long chance to, to make an impact in this race. And I think he knows that. And I think the thing that I heard, Lucy, is that he has some ideas that I think resonate with a lot of people in this election season, not to this, not to the extent that they will go out and vote for him. But when he says that he's not uh, feeling like government represents uh, him, I think a lot of people say that to us all the time. Something else that he said, and I know, Ty, probably this resonates with you, too. You know, he wants to get millennial voters out and enthusiastic. And he says something that I think is really important. He says, go run for school board. Go run for your town council. This is part of democracy. Now, he thinks that his uh, third party is a way for people to get involved in that. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's not. It is hard sometimes to break through the Democratic or Republican establishments. But he says, go out and run for something at a lower level before you get into to state or national politics. And then the last thing I heard was, 
you know, he and Rod Hanscom, Oz Gribble went out, and they got a lot of signatures. They talked to an awful lot of people, 35,000 petitions between the three of them. And whether or not that means anything as far as votes next Tuesday, I don't know. But it does mean that they connected with an awful lot of people hand-to-hand, not through commercials. Uh, Ty Seymour, uh, is a candidate like uh, Mark Stewart going to appeal to the millennial voter? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, one thing that did resonate with me, and I think it probably resonates with millennial voters, is the notion of our politics being, I mean, for me, being fiscally uh, uh, conservative and socially moderate or liberal or libertarian or however. um, So I I think that might resonate with some people. I don't know how well that's going to work out on Tuesday. But um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of people uh, petitioned this year. So there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, uh, door to door stuff. So I I, I think it's interesting. And I and we do have a so for college Republicans, we have um, uh, we have a college Republican running in uh, uh, Rocky Hill, Andrew Lanciato. So um, it's very exciting to have one of our own uh, run for office and in the primaries we had four or five and uh, run for office and um, and we have you know, Tyrell Brown and Ed Ford and Middletown and they've been a part of the organization so so yeah I mean I think we're seeing a lot of on both sides of the island and Connecticut at least a lot of young people getting involved in and I think that it'll translate Tuesday into turnout so we can hope yeah we can hope <laughs> let's get to the Quinnipiac poll John uh, tell us exactly what the poll found and is this uh, bad news for Ned well it's interesting I, I, I actually I'm reading this a little bit as and Ty and I were talking about this, and I'd love to have his thoughts about this. Um, we both saw this a little bit differently. I see this as better news for Ned Lamont than I was expecting today. Uh, over the course of the last couple of weeks, there had been a sense that Ned Lamont's lead had almost entirely slipped away to Bob Stefanowski. And when we see this poll that shows them within a margin of error, Ned Lamont still up by four points, Oz Griebel back down to seven points, it does suggest that Ned Lamont has at least held his ground a little bit better than many might have felt. I will will say I looked up the same Quinnipiac University poll done in late October uh, during the last gubernatorial election, uh, Dan Malloy versus Tom Foley. That was round two. Dan Malloy was leading 47 to 43 percent. It was exactly the same split as the one that we have right now, with 8 percent going to Joe Visconti, a third-party candidate. Go back four years before that, Tom Foley was up by 3 percent over Ned Lamont in 2010. So this is basically what we've been seeing through every single governor's race for a very long time. And I, I don't really suggest that it's it's anything different. This is, I think, where we are right now as a state. Ty, how do you interpret the poll? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't sure how it was going to turn out. Um, it's I feel like it's been a little quiet on both sides lately. But, um, but I mean, I when I saw the poll this morning, I was very happy with it. I was enthusiastic. It made me energized. And, and I think for Republicans, it's a great place to be at going into next week. Um, and one of the things I thought interesting was the – um, the, the party uh, distribution. So I think for Ned, it was 90% of Democrats for him for were voting for someone else. And then for um, for Bob, it was like 93-5. So, so I was always worried about Republicans or defecting to Oz or, or Ned. And I don't know if that's really playing out. So I think, I think um, and, and there's not a lot of Republicans in Connecticut as it is anyway. So, so I was happy with the result. And I think it shows that we have a lot of momentum for Tuesday. And I, I'm excited. I, I will say, Lucy, and, and I think you, you get to a really important point, Ty. We have very strong support amongst Democrats for Ned Lamont. Not a surprise. Very strong support amongst Republicans for Bob Stefanowski. Not a surprise. But because of the raw numbers, where we have about 800,000 unaffiliated, about 700,000 Democrats, and about 400,000 Republicans, 
if Bob Stefanowski gets all the Republicans, every last one to vote for him, that still doesn't do as much for him. And another thing I think that is showing good news for Ned Lamont here is they ask a question about second choices. So if you were going to vote for Oz Griebel, but your second choice is someone, who would it be? Ned Lamont, 45 percent. Bob Stefanowski, 23 percent. So there is that little bit of crossover between the two of them. But I think for people who are still to make up their minds maybe if they decide to pull the lever for someone, it might be Ned Lamont. So there's a debate actually tonight. So what does this mean in terms of when you, they look at the numbers, each of the campaigns? Uh, we expect a... Some new things to come out of these three candidates at the debate, Ty? <laughs> I, I I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, I was asking uh, um, John earlier if uh, if uh, I know there was the eight percent threshold and Oz is at seven. So I I I, I don't think that he's gonna not be included. But um, but yeah, I, I think it's gonna be an interesting dynamic tonight. And um, and I don't know which strategy uh, anyone's gonna be using if you're trying to pull someone a vote from someone else. But um, but like like I said, I I think that Bob's at least from my perspective um. Uh, our our base is pretty solidified, and we're ready to ener- be energized and go out there and actually vote and you know turn up and vote. I, I do have to ask you the tie because I think one of the questions with Stefanowski that that we've had is with independent voters because he needs to pull away a certain number of them. And uh, there are some independent voters who have decided that Oz Griebel is their candidate in part because in part because he's a moderate, but also because he seems to be realistic about the problems facing the state. Uh, both Ned Lamont and, and Bob Stefanowski seem to have plans to do something with taxes that can't necessarily be backed up by any numbers. Um, do you think that Bob Stefanowski comes out tonight and actually says something substantive about what he's going to do to try to differentiate himself from Ned Lamond and, and Oz Griebel? Or does he just keep saying what he said in the last debate, which is, trust me? Yeah, I mean, I think we're at a point right now where I, I feel like uh, Lamont's been pretty Pollyannish about everything and his plans for. So I think we're right now being a young person in Connecticut. I think we're at a place where I'm, I'm very concerned about the future and the, the situation, the fiscal situation. And, you know, for me, I would rather put my support for Bob, who his narrative is actually, you know, go, diverting from a course that we've been on for at least eight years, if not more. And, you know, Ned's more of the same and uh, in my perspective. And, you know, I'm not sure how, how that's going to play out tonight in the debate, but I, I think what's appealing for Bob is that it's a completely new narrative from what we've seen for the past eight years, at least. You're hearing from Ty Seymour, senior at Southern Connecticut State University, also chairman of the Connecticut Federation of College Republicans here on Where We Live as we reflect back on the Connecticut uh, governor governor's race and the candidate that have come in to the show. Also, John Dankoski is here, host of Connecticut Public Radio's The Wheelhouse. We should mention that uh, we came off a weekend where uh, the state's biggest newspaper endorsed Oz Griebel. How much of a factor will that have, John? Well, I, I don't know. You know, Over the weekend, the, uh, the Quinnipiac poll was out there, and then The Current did their endorsement on Sunday morning. A whole lot of people saw it then. They may have already taken the poll I don't know, Lucy, what endorsements like that really mean. Uh, what I what I do know is is that the way that they wrote that editorial was interesting because they said our first choice is Oz Griebel, our second choice by a close margin is Ned Lamont, and our distant third choice is Bob Stefanowski. But if you just run the numbers, that more than a few analysts have said to me, um, hey, current, if you if you really think Bob Stefanowski is your third choice, and you say go vote for Oz Griebel. There's a much better chance that Bob Stefanowski will become governor. It was an interesting way to arrange an editorial. Let's just put it that way. What was your no, take? Tim? Yeah, I, I definitely thought it was interesting. Um, I, I I don't really know understand the the reasoning behind it, but you know uh, they did they endorsed him, and uh, I guess I know Hartford Current. I know he's been involved in the Hartford area, and he might 
be more, uh, I don't know, in line with uh, what people want. And I guess it, we're, we're in a partisan, hyper-partisan era, and we're all polarized. So I think that might have been one of the reasons why they you know, wanted to show a little bit of uh, non nonpartisanship. So... Uh, yeah, it, it was and also, though. and I think here is a good point. And also, Hartford Love, right? He Oz is very big in the Hartford area. Ned Lamont, Bob Stefanowski, not quite as much, and so maybe that has a lot to do with it. And the flip side is, uh, most people don't know who Oz Griebel is outside of the greater Hartford yeah, and area. I, I think that'll be interesting to see. Uh, on Tuesday where um, Oz's strength and support was, which I, I wish that w there was a way, an indicator in the polls to see where people were voting from, but there's not, obviously. But um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see the results. Like, at, at the end of the day, I'm excited to see the results to see where the votes are coming from and where Oz's support are, is and everything. So We just have a couple of minutes left. Something we've talked about with our uh, political analysts, Bilal Siku and Jonathan Wharton, John, is um, will the cities turn out to vote, especially when we think about uh, black and Hispanic voters? None of these candidates really excite um, the uh, residents uh, from the city. So I'm curious, uh, you know, will they be the ones uh, to be voting on November 6th or will they just stay home? Well, there was uh, some interesting splits in this Quinnipiac poll. Uh, it, it splits out uh, men and women. It splits out white voters and non-white voters. Uh, in this poll, 63% of non-white voters prefer uh, Ned Lamont, but that means that 28% prefer Bob Stefanowski, uh, 6% for Oz Griebel. Not exactly sure what that means. I mean, enthusiasm uh, in the cities is always going to be a good thing for Democrats. As we've seen in the course of the last couple of weeks, Joe Biden comes out and stumps for Ned Lamont. But who else was there? Chris Murphy was there. Uh, Johanna Hayes was there. Now, they're both running as well. And I think for Democrats to build enthusiasm around people who, frankly, they might be more enthusiastic about uh, is a way to get people to the polls. And then, you know, you pull the line for the D's all across the way. I don't know if Bob Stefanowski has exactly that same grip on Republicans, right? That if you pull the Stefanowski line, you're going to pull for all of your uh, local Republicans as well. Ty, you're down in the New Haven area. Uh, does L Ned Lamont and Bob Stefanowski have a good ground game down there? Um, I mean, I've seen Stefanowski signs where I would have never s expected to see them in my life. So so um, I haven't really seen a lot of signs overall. There's, there's one on my campus, of course, for Ned, but uh, um, but I mean, I haven't really seen any enthusiasm at all. And I know last week Wharton said that you know uh, this would be the time where the unions would start rallying and everything. And I know he said Tony Harp's going to be kind of missing in action. And so, um, but I personally haven't really seen a lot of enthusiasm in New Haven. Um, and uh, I think the only really big thing that was the, the, the last debate that was there, and that was pretty much the extent of everything. We'll have to leave it there. Ty Seymour, again, a senior at Southern and chairman of the Connecticut Federation of College Republicans. Thanks for coming on. Thank you on. for having me. I had a good time. And John Dankowski, host of The Wheelhouse. Tomorrow you'll be back with some more analysis. Thank you, John. Thank you so much, Lucy. Today's show produced by Lydia Brown. Special thanks to Phil Geolopsis and Kion Wolf. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to vote.